Good morning, saints. Let's stand up. We'll pray and we'll... How's everybody feeling? Are we feeling good? I'm feeling good. I'm excited about today. What I have to share with you is going to be awesome. (laughs) No, I I mean, the Lord just blew my mind with some things this week, so I got mind blown. So in fact, that's the title of the message. Um, So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Father, I ask that you will anoint my lips today, that you'll empower me by your spirit to speak truth that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. Father, I ask you to open our ears and open our hearts. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation today and help us to overturn old belief systems that are holding us in captivity and set us totally free to soar into the skies of God with the truth of your word. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that, saints, just say with me, amen, and be seated. I want to attempt to use this. <laughs> the cross will blow your mind. That is, when you understand it, that is. Uh, so that's the title for today. So I want to start in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And those of you that were here last week, I'm going to pick up a little bit where I left off last week. Romans 12, 1 and 2, very familiar scripture around here because we use it a lot. But it really is the absolutely the key to the Christian life, I believe. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So the main thing I want to focus on is offering yourself as a sacrifice, offering your body as a living sacrifice. And especially for today, uh, I want to look at to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we looked at last week, this idea of sacrifice in a biblical Jewish context is not about suffering and pain. It is about giving a gift. When they would take an animal and they would sacrifice the animal, particularly the burnt offering, in their minds what they were doing was they were bringing a gift and transferring it, watch this, transferring it from this physical world into the spiritual world by killing it and burning it and letting it ascend into smoke. So that literally what in their mind they were doing was giving a gift. The, the, the suffering or the pain of the sacrifice was incidental. It was just a, a means to the end, but it wasn't the focus of it. And it certainly, I want everybody to hear this, it certainly wasn't appeasement. You understand what I mean by appeasement? It wasn't God was angry and he is mad at the sins of Israel. And so he had to have blood in order to satisfy his wrath so that he'd be free to forgive. It was not that. It was not appeasing an angry God so he'd be nice to you. It was a love relationship that you love God. You brought him a gift out of the goodness of your heart. And it opened up a dimensional gateway in the spirit that allowed things to transfer from this world and that world. And best of all for us, from that world into this world, right? So it wasn't about appeasement. So when we talk about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, it's not that God wants you to sacrifice and do all this this stuff because somehow that makes Him happy. (laughs) It's about presenting yourself, presenting your body as a gift. It's about saying, Lord, here I am. 
the good, the bad, the ugly, everything I got, here I am, I'm giving myself as a gift to you. And the moment you do that, there's a transaction, there's a transfer, there's something that takes place, a spiritual gateway opens up, and energy of God's grace comes down and fills your life and then empowers you to do something. And what does it empower you to do, saints? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, our translations kind of mess this up because this is a word uh, that when, when we think about transformation or being transformed, we think about it in terms of uh, making a, a, a change, <laughs> right? So uh, we, could, we could bring up people who were once addicted to drugs and alcohol and they could talk about how they were addicted to drugs and alcohol because they thought horrible thoughts about themselves and felt ashamed because of stuff that they did and they changed their mind <laughs> about who they were and decided they didn't want to live that way anymore and they were transformed. That would be being transformed by the, the changing of your mind. And that's how we read it. <laughs> to be transformed by the changing of your mind, right? But in the Greek, the word there is transfiguration. And the only time transfiguration is talked about in the Bible is when Jesus... Uh, it's the picture that we have when you walk in the doors in, in, the, in the foyer area there. Uh, when Jesus is filled with light, he's filled with the light and the presence and the glory of God. And his body radiates out that light and that presence and that power. We call that the transfiguration. So Paul's not just talking about change. Paul's talking about really, I'm going to use the term. It upsets religious people, but it's truth anyway. (laughs) He's talking about deification. He's talking about the divine nature in you, the divine spark, the divine flame, being fanned into flame and raising up and radiating out of you so that the light, the nature, the truth, the power, the glory of who God is, is manifesting in you and in the earth through you. And the way that happens, in order for that to happen, in order for that to be released, something has to take place in your mind. Something has to take place in your mind. And you'll find out from, as we go through this, that the something that needs to take place in your mind is connected with and tied to and intimately associated with and essential, it's tied to and, and connected with the cross, the cross, And the cross is essential to this transformation process in your mind. And it's been in the Bible the whole time, and and we haven't seen it. So let's just talk a little bit about the cross. It's not changing. I don't know why it does this to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I want you to think about the cross for a minute. This is what Paul says about the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. When we think about the cross, when we think about it because our version of Christianity comes out of Europe, and it comes out, really, our understanding of the cross comes out of a time in European history when it was just dark, and there was nothing but bloodshed, and there was suffering, and there was black death, and there was plague, and there was death everywhere. And, and also understand that during that time, the church religion was ruling the, the nations. Think about uh, some of the countries maybe in the Middle East that are still under Sharia law, that are ruled by, by Islam. Uh, Europe was like that. It was just all the, it was, it was, it was, that's why in, in America we have separation of church and state. People don't understand that the church and state were the same before us, right? 
And some people today still want it to be the same, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so, so our ideas of the cross, I want you to see that Paul says it is the power of God. Everybody see that? And it, what is the cross? It is the power of God. There is power in it. But when we think about it, we think about it in these ways. First of all, what is the cross? The cross is, number one, a symbol of execution, right? Symbol of execution. Because that's the place where Jesus died. And that's the place where criminals and, and uh, people that were against Rome, that's where they were killed, right? So the, now you got to come back to me and think about this in a first century context. See, the cross doesn't mean execution to most people. The cross means jewelry. <laughs> or it's associated with Christianity. But you'll go down to the store and you'll buy yourself a nice cross or, or you know... And you'll hang it around your neck and stuff like that. But this would be like, if, if we did this today, this would be like going down to the store and buying yourself uh, an electric chair. Buying yourself a nice, you, I mean, you know, if, if, the, if the cross is about execution, then, then you got to understand in the first century that if that's what it was, if that's what Paul was talking about, then you just go down to the store, you know, and you buy yourself a nice uh, 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 gold uh electric chair i'm sure it'd be beautiful you know just hang this chair you could, could even get the you know the thing that goes around the head made of silver and just wear it on your head i'm sure it'd be gorgeous right you just be, be walking around and say look at my electric chair you know a, but but you got to understand that to the first century mind that's that's what the cross possibly symbolized for them right the second thing that the cross could be to us is is a burden it's a burden to bear you ever hear anybody talk about that well this is just my cross to bear <laughs> It's just, this just what I gotta carry, right? So some people look at it as a burden. God gave me this cross, you know, I, I'm going through this and God gave me this cross. God didn't give you anything. <laughs> God didn't have anything to do with that. But we like to think about it in that way, right? And, and then also it's a place of sacrifice. But we don't think about it in a place, as a place of sacrifice like what I'm talking about, where it's a gift and an exchange with heaven that opens up the heavens and brings blessing down. We, we think about it as something that I have to give up, right? So if you were raised Catholic, or you went to school with people, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I went to school with people who were raised Catholic, and so Lent comes around, right? And so what do they do at Lent? Uh, they go get ashes spread on their head uh, on Wednesday and then they give up till Easter something they probably don't like anyway you know I mean <laughs> like, like I'm going to give up uh, you know whatever it is I'm going to give up spinach or I'm going to give up Brussels sprouts or uh, you know but it's supposed to be you know something you like I'm going to give up chocolate I'm going to give up Coca-Cola because wow that really impresses God you know God is really impressed that you gave up Coca-Cola and he's really going to I mean you know so one of the things that this confronts that this message confronts you have to really think with me today about the nature and the image of the God that you say you believe in. Because here's the thing, that the cross was a glorious thing to the early church, right? It was a glorious thing. Jesus told his followers, if you're going to come after me, take up your cross and follow me, right? To let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and let him follow me. Now, because of the way that this imagery is embedded in our thinking as Christians, those people look like crazy people. I mean, we've made it so sadistic because our vision of God is sadistic. 
I mean, let's just start out with it, it just being a symbol of, of execution, the place that Jesus died. And so, so Paul says the cross, the, he didn't say it's any of these things. He didn't say the cross was about execution. He didn't say the cross was a burden that you had to bear. He didn't say the cross even was a place of sacrifice. He said the cross is the power of God. It is the power of God at work in your life. So ask yourself, how is the cross or the message of the cross, the message of the cross, how is that the power of God in your life? Is it the power of God in your life because God was so angry and so fed up and so, and, and so just, just, uh, he, he just, he just demanded the death, the torture and death of a 30 year old young man that just brutally just cut up and, and beat up and, 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 and whipped and, and nailed to a cross so he could forgive you for your sins? Is that the kind of God we want to believe in? But that's preached all over America, all over the, the, the Western world. And, and if you, if you even call it into question, they'll call you a heretic and they'll curse you and they'll cut you off. They won't come back to your church. <laughs> but think about this. Did God require a human? You, you, we wanted to worship. I mean, do you really want to? Let me just ask you this question. Because you don't have to, because it's not in the Bible. And I've done enough teaching here. And if this is your first time or whatever, I can turn you on to all kinds of series that we've done to show you that it's not in the Bible. So then it becomes a question. Do you want to believe? Do you want to believe in a God that in order to forgive you for whatever sin you committed... In order for him to be able to forgive you, uh, in order for him to be able to resolve some kind of psychic conflict within himself between his justice and his mercy, or satisfy his own ego needs, to be able to forgive you, to require human sacrifice. Because that's what we do. We say, we, we worship a God and we say, this God requires human sacrifice in order to be nice to you. The torturous death of a beautiful person who was teaching love, who was blessing children, who was doing good, who was healing the sick, who was setting people free from the power of the devil. And our God had to rip him to shreds and torture him and put a crown of thorns on him and pierce him and so that he could get blood, so that, so that his bloodlust would be satisfied, so that he could forgive you for your sins. Let me ask you this question. How bad have you sinned? You know, I heard somebody say something recently, and it really impacted me. I mean, it really impacted me. He said, you know, there are not very many truly evil people in the world. Now, that may come as a shock to you as a Christian if you've been conditioned to believe that everybody's evil. But I want you to really think about it. And here's what he said. He said, a truly evil person is as rare as a truly saintly person so in other words in other words yeah there is a hitler or yeah there is a, a pol pot or there is a charles manson or you know whatever symbolizes for you evil just like there's mother Teresa, just like there's a martin luther king jr just like there's a gandhi that those kind of people are really rare 
And I found that most people, they're not out to do harm. They're not out to do wickedness or evil. They're just, they're struggling through life like the rest of us. And they're doing the best they can with what they have. Even a guy who straps a bomb to his back, listen to this, even a guy who straps a bomb to his back or a bomb to his chest and walks into some, some place over in Western Europe or God forbid some place in the United States and blows something up, he's doing it because he believes he's serving God. He's doing it because, uh, the, the, the religious systems there said, we'll take care of your family after you're gone. He's doing it because he believes if he dies, he's going to get uh, 70 virgins when he dies. He, 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 he's, he's not doing it because he's naturally an evil person any more than our soldiers are going over there uh, blowing up their buildings because they're evil. They're doing the best they can with what they have based on what they believe. And unfortunately, because of religion, what they believe about God is an absolute lie. And I want to tell you that what most people believe about God in churches all across the United States is an absolute lie because we believe in this monstrous God that requires some kind of blood sacrifice and death of this guy in order to forgive you for having a bad thought. In order to forgive you for using porn. In order to forgive you for uh, losing your temper. In order to forgive you, I mean, really... You really want to believe in a God. So, oh, you lost your temper. Oh, you, you couldn't control your, your sexual urges and this was available to you and you, you used it. You're probably using it to cope with anxiety, but you used it and God. So how is God going to satisfy his, 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 his need for justice? I know blood, 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 blood. Beat him up, kill him, whip him, pound nails into him. Oh, that's good. Look at that. That's good. That's good. I can get that. Oh, I feel so much better now. Is that really the God we want to believe in? It's not the God of the Bible. Not even what Paul's talking about. And what is the power of God anyway? The cross is the power of God. What is it? You come down to the front, you say a prayer, you say a sinner's prayer, you sign some card, and we get you reading books. (laughs) We get you reading books and coming to church and paying tithe. And that, that is the power of God? Because you know why? Because we don't understand what the cross is about. We can't understand, we, so we can't manifest the power of the cross. So we tell you, you know what? All that power is for when you die, because it lets us off the hook. Because we don't, we don't have, we don't have, we don't have to answer to you when you die. It's not like you die and wow, come back and see, you know, raise from the dead. Would to God, maybe that would happen to some preachers. Somebody die, they raise up and say, it ain't like you told me. See, I can tell you anything. I can tell you you're going to have a mansion in glory. I can tell you you're going to sing and shout the victory when you all, when you all get to heaven. And, and you can't hold me accountable to it. So that is the power of God. Is that what Paul's talking about? Or is he talking about something else? Is he talking about the power of God that works in the mind, that releases the life of God and puts to death all the painful stuff, all the hurting stuff, all the yucky stuff, everything that makes your life hard, everything that makes your life painful, everything that makes your life miserable. What if there's power in the cross, the message of the cross to deal with that? And that has nothing to do with satisfying an angry God. Thank you. And we have to understand, it's not about, I mean, really, is God really that unkind? Is God really that merciless? Is God really that petty that in order to overlook most of your mistakes and transgressions and failures, that he requires human sacrifice and blood to be able to say, oh, no, it's okay. Because the Jews don't believe that. Because in the Jewish Bible, even when Moses got the law, he said God is good and he forgives iniquities, transgressions and sins and all of that before sacrifice and all of that before the cross. And David could say, Lord, if you desired sacrifice, I'd bring it to you. God doesn't need your Coca-Cola. 
God doesn't need you to go three days without food because He's hungry and nobody will feed Him. David said, if you desire sacrifice, but we teach this stuff and preach this stuff and we tell people, don't enjoy life. Don't go out and enjoy life. I mean, on one side of our mouth, we say, Jesus came that you might have life and more abundantly. And then we tell you all the enjoyable stuff. Don't go do that stuff. Don't go do it. And I got to believe somewhere, somewhere somebody's picking your pocket. They don't want you going to Las Vegas because they don't want you gambling in the machines. They want you putting it in the collection plate. You know it's true. And if we can keep you feeling guilty, and if we can keep you feeling beat up, and if we can make you wonder whether or not God's really happy with you or not happy with you or mad at you, then we can keep you coming to church. Right? You know it's true. And so, and then we teach this God that wants you to sacrifice, wants you to do all this stuff, everything that's fun, God cross it off the list, and everything that's just boring as heck, and just, just, ugh, and, and sacrifice and pain, and, and, and let's do this. What kind of sadistic God are we serving? See, that God is an imaginary friend. He is a, he doesn't exist. There's no reality in him. Because the God who created, you really believe the God who created everything. Look around you. Create, so the, all the detail in creation and the flowers and the, and, and, and the butterflies and the snowflakes and all that stuff. But boy, you lost your temper. So I'm, yeah, i got to nail my son to the cross. Really? Is that really what you want to believe? Or can we believe? Because you know what? John said this. God is love. And love doesn't require vengeance. And love doesn't require blood sacrifice. And love doesn't do to Jesus what we say that God did to Jesus so there could be peace on earth. So He could be peaceful towards humanity and be good to us. Love does not do that. In fact, to say that is blasphemy. It is blasphemy against love. It is blasphemy against love. It's blasphemy against this intimate, intimate, uh, I'm sorry, infinite, infinite... uh, just eternal, uh, whose, whose goodness is past finding out. That, that just when you think you've seen all the goodness of God that there is, it's a drop in the ocean compared to the expanse of the infinity of who God is. And we've, we've made Him in this, this petty image. It's not the power of God. i got to get into my message. <laughs> i got to quit preaching. Next slide. I, I can't read that from there. I don't know if you can read it. This is the New World Encyclopedia, because see, here's our problem. We think the cross originated with Rome, and we think it originated with Christianity, and it did not, and the ancient people know that it did not, because they were Greeks. In the ancient world, they knew the cross didn't originate as an execution chamber. This is what New World Encyclopedia says. You can look it up for yourself. I picked an easy source. The cross, this is under the article on the cross. It is known, it is not known when the first cross image was made. The cross-shaped sign, represented in its simplest form by a crossing of two lines at right angles, greatly predates in both east and west, watch this, the introduction of Christianity. It goes back to a very remote period of human civilization. There are many cross-shaped incisions in European cult caves dating back to the earliest stages of human cultural development in the Stone Age. And here's, and it doesn't matter. I've researched it beyond New World Encyclopedia. I just made it easy for you. 
They find them in India. They find them in the Aztec places. They find them in China. They find them in, like you're finding out here in Europe. And you know what the thing? The cross was always, always a sacred symbol that was a sign of life. And for some people, it was, it was, for some cultures, it was the tree of life, specifically. And that's why Paul says that Jesus was hung on a tree. That's why when Peter is preaching, he says, Jesus, they killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. See, we've got to understand, and this is why religion doesn't like this kind of preaching, because it was not God that killed Jesus, it was religion that killed Jesus. And the reason religion killed Jesus was because Jesus came to end religion. He came to say that the power of God is not in a system and a structure and an organization that you have. It's not in a temple. God doesn't live in a temple made with stones. God lives in a temple made without stones and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is dwelling in you and God is in you and greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world and the last thing religion wants you to do is get weaned off of your dependency upon them and look inside and realize the greatness and the power and the might of God, the wisdom, all of it, all of it's inside of you, all of it's yours as a free gift. It's been there all along. You just don't know how to open it up and turn it loose. And it was religion that killed Jesus, not God. And it's to show you that religion will kill you. It'll crucify you if you, just, if you mess with it. It'll lie about you. It'll falsely accuse you. It'll beat you on the back until you're dead. And some of you know it's true. So the cross was a power of, of life. One of the most ancient crosses that we have is called, you'll recognize it, it's called the Crux Ansata. The crux ansata that was from Egypt. One of the things you probably don't realize was that in ancient Egypt, prior to the time of Moses, the way they would train their priesthood is they would take them into the temple and they would give them, I don't know what they would give them, but they would give them some kind of peyote. (laughs) Something that would make them pass out like they were dead. And they would leave them in that place entombed for three days, always, for three days. And during that time, what they said was they they would descend into the underworld. And they would descend into the underworld and they would face the demons that were there and they would conquer them. And then they would rise up on the third day. And when they rose up on the third day and they came out of their tombs, they were said to be ascended They had ascended into their place of priesthood. Is it any wonder that God stuck Israel in Egypt for 430 years? Because Egypt had the matrix of what God was doing in human transformation. And they had to be incubated in it for a time so that God could speak to him the word of God. And they would have the matrix of understanding, the matrix of images and ceremony and principles to understand what it was that God wanted to say. He had to give them a language. So he incubated them for 430 years in Egypt. Uh, Otherwise, God just abandoned his people and let them be slaves. And that fits with that God you want to believe in. All right, I know I'm not being nice. This cross was seen as a tree of life. And the reason that there's a circle at the top is because that circle represents infinity. It represents in the mind the place of infinity, the, the entrance of the infinity of God, the infinity of the one who created all things coming into the person. Now everybody hold your breath because I'm about to show you another one. Ancient. Everybody say with me, ancient. 
Ancient means before me. I just you got to say this with me. Ancient means before me. Ancient means before my grandma. Ancient means before my great grandma. Ancient means before the Civil War. Ancient means before the founding of America. Are you with me? Now say what I'm about to see is an ancient symbol that predates all that stuff that I learned in my history class. You got it? Here it is. That, my dear friends, is a cross that your Coptic or Egyptian or African brothers and sisters adopted very, 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 very early on as a symbol for Christ and the crucifixion and the power of the cross in church history. You didn't know that, did you? See, we, we want to hang crosses in our church. We want to bow down, worship the cross. Hang that in your church. We better take that down. <laughs> Somebody walk in, you know, late to church. Oh, okay. you know, visitor. <laughs> I don't know. I'm seeing some people of color in here. I don't, doesn't seem to fit. So why do you think Hitler used that symbol? You know, you know what that symbol represents? Let me go, go back to it real quick. You know what it represents? It's actually a cross. If it starts, it's it's tilted. It's 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 sideways, right? But you know what those lines are at the end of the cross? They're flames. And you know why it's tilted? Because when the cross was a flame, it would turn into a wheel. And you know what that was known as? The cross of the Holy Spirit. Because the idea was that the transfiguration process would be a crucifixion that would take place inside of you, that would kill, that, that would bring the fire of the Holy Spirit, that would consume all the impurities, that would consume all the impurities and help you to rise up in power. It was a symbol of life, it was a symbol of blessing, it was a symbol of prosperity, and it's one of the most holy representations of the Trinity and of the cross and of the fire of the Holy Spirit that God ever gave to man. And Hitler took it and Hitler perverted it, but you can understand why because in his twisted perverted mind, he was trying to per- he was trying to deify humanity. He was trying to create the superior race by purifying humanity and doing stuff to exalt Germany to a place of power. And he was a student of the occult and he was a student of religion and he understood the power of symbols and he co-opted it and it's become the most hated, most vile symbol in all the world today. But before that, it was one of the most holy symbols there ever was. And why will they throw you out if they post that in your church? Because they don't know any better. Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. The cross was, it was the tree of life. Everybody look at me and say, the cross was the tree of life. Jesus was hung on a tree. Deuteronomy 20, 19 says, that's what it under, that's what it meant to ancient people. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. So God writing this to ancient people, he says, he says, when, when thou shalt beseech a city a long time in making war against it to take it, Thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, or thou mayest eat of them, for thou mayest eat of them, and thou shalt not cut them down to employ them in the siege. Watch this. For the tree of the field is man's life. The cross is not about a historical event 
that satisfied an angry God so you could say some words and sign a card and get to heaven. That is not the power of God. It's a religious fabrication to grow numbers. People are doing it from a good place in their heart and it's because it's all they know. But it is a lie and they are steeped into that lie. And God wants to set them free. Luke 23, 39-41. Alright, let's look at this. It says, one of the criminals... Oh, you know what? I want to do this differently. I put that in you know different order than I wanted to. I wanted to John 19. Yeah, let's start with John 19. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. And finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Next slide. It's not turning for me. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Where did the crucifixion happen? The place of the skull. Why? To show you the transformation that comes by the renewing of your mind and that the crucifixion has to take place in the place of your skull. Calvary, we sing about Calvary, right? <laughs> we, we move to tears about Calvary. Calvary's cross. Calvary's lamb. Remember that song? Some of you older people remember Sandy Patty and, you know, Calvary's lamb and, and all that stuff. You know what Calvary? Calvary comes from a Latin word, Calvary. And you know what it means? It means the skull cap. So every time you sing about Calvary, every time you picture it, you got to get the message. You got you got you got to understand. See, there's deeper truths going on here. There are symbolic meanings that are powerful for you that are embedded in the scriptures to help you so that you can't miss it. It's not just some hill in the Holy Land so you can go see, take your trip and see it and pick up some dirt and come home and say, "Wow, isn't this dirt holy?" It's more holy than the dirt I got out there. No, it's that's not what it's about. It's not about the historical event. It's about the cross working in the place of the skull. And why were there two others that had to be crucified with him? This is one area where all four Gospels tell the same story. Uh, Practically, I don't know, I mean, I can't say this with authority, but it might be the only place where the same story is in all four Gospels. Now let's back up and look at it in Luke. It says, one of the criminals... And we know they were thieves, right? So one of the thieves who hung there hurled insults at him and said, Aren't you Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the under criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The lights go completely out. And then I didn't get that last verse on there, I guess. But then it says the veil was torn in two. You got it? I want you to get the picture. Two thieves, one on either side of Jesus at the place of the skull. All three of them being crucified. One thief says, save us. You saved others. Can't you save yourself and save us also? And we condemn him for doing exactly what we told you you needed to do to get to heaven. Save us. Can't you save yourself? Well, we got the end of the story. Three days later, he's resurrected. Save us, and we make him an evil criminal. And yet we get you to come down and do that, you know. (laughs) If anyone's the accuser, it's the other thief. Who do you think you are? Wanting salvation. You and I are justly condemned. We are justly condemned. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then what does he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's very, very important that this is in Luke's account and it's the only place the conversation is recorded. Because please keep in mind that they're not just like telling a history lesson. They are communicating a point in the gospel letters from start to finish. So everything connects. There's a message that they want you to get. And it's in, it's only in Luke's gospel that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he says the kingdom does not come with observation. You won't be able to look out here and say there it is, or look over here and say it's over here. But the, rather the kingdom of God is where? The kingdom of God is within you. So for Luke, the kingdom is a, it's, it's something inside of you. So the, the, the thief, is saying, remember me, remember me when you come in your kingdom. It's talking about a place inside of you. And what does he say? This day you'll be with me in paradise. Where's paradise? Well, Paul said it. See, Paul understood the power of the cross. How do you suppose Paul was caught up in the third heaven? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, I knew a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But such a one, 14 years ago, such a one was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. Not when he died. He ascended. So when Jesus looks at the thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise, when he says, I'm, 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 Father, into my hands I commit my spirit, you've got to understand that the cross is the place of ascending and it is the place of transformation and it is the place of, of, of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And each one of those thieves represents a part of you. You could say it's kind of like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the one hand, you have the guy that we always condemned as evil, mocking Jesus, hurling insults. That's what it says, hurling insults. Well, don't you know there's a part of you inside you that just wants to sometimes hurl insults at God? (laughs) Don't you know there's a part of you inside you that just wants to get away from the process that God has you in? That doesn't want to go through any kind of process, just wants to be delivered? That that there's a part of you that is self-serving? 
That's the evil side of that tree. Because remember, Jesus was hung on a tree. See, the garden, the early church fathers understood this. They, they didn't read that as some historical story and try to figure out where Cain got his wife and come up with some incestuous explanation. We act like we just got the book. People ask you, well, if the Bible is inspired, where did Cain get his wife? If, if Adam and Eve started humanity, where did Cain get his wife? And we act like we just, the book landed in our lap, like people haven't been working with it for millennia. And we answer, well, I don't know, probably one of his sisters. And that's the answer we give modern people. Like the problem, it wasn't a problem to the early church fathers because they didn't take it literally. They didn't think it was a literal snake talking to a literal guy, giving him a literal apple. It was a picture of your inner being. And the exile to work outside by the sweat of your skull, sweat of your brow, was the, 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 the expulsion from living in that place of innocence and purity and walking with the light of God within. You get expelled from the presence of God that's within you and live in your head. And your head makes up all kinds of stories that makes your life hard. So therefore, to undo what Adam did, the crucifixion of Jesus has to happen in the place of the skull. But it's not just its not just him that has to be crucified. See, you ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you got the evil side of you that's living that life that also has to be crucified with Christ. And then you got the good side that says, oh, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm a horrible... <laughs> My, my good deeds are like righteous, I mean, my good deeds are like righteous rags. My, my, my righteous deeds, my righteousness is like filthy rags. See, that's the religious part of you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the religious part of you that thinks you can please God by being religious and thinks you have to do something and you have to sacrifice and you have to be humble and you have to be holy and all this stuff to try to get something from God. And so you got the good side over here and you got the bad side over here. you got the tree of death on both sides. And, and what, the, what the man says is true. We're both, the good and the evil, is both under the same sentence of death because you cannot find your way to God by climbing the ladder of good and you're certainly not going to find your way to God by descending into the abyss of the evil so both of them are under the sentence of death but here's the good news Jesus says today you will be with me in paradise that something happens in Christ that's so powerful that when he ascends those parts of you get purified and they ascend so that what happens is, is, is there has to be a crucifixion at the place of the skull there has to be a crucifixion in the mind so that those things die so that the Christ essence and the Christ principle and the Christ power inside of you can, can move up past your mind because you're no longer governed by the stories that you tell yourself and all that religious BS that you've been, that's been put on you or that you're putting on yourself and, and, and the power of God rises and ascends and there's a transformation that takes place inside your life that is a renewing of your mind, that's a transfiguration of your being that releases the light and the power and the glory of God and, and that is the power of God that they, that, they were, that they were so excited about that they had to go out and tell the world. Can you imagine them go, go tell the good news? Well, God's pretty angry. He requires blood. 
And if you don't take his, it's going to be yours. So I suggest you take his. And it certainly wasn't. These are Roman citizens. We're all going to get crucified today. Come with me. I'm going to take up my cross. We're all going to go up there and get crucified. Nobody's going to follow that. They're going to say, you're a lunatic. I'm out of here. I ain't following that. See, they, they, they didn't understand it that way. It wasn't, it wasn't taught to them that way. It wasn't preached to them that way. I challenge you to find one sermon in the book of Acts where that concept is, is, is even mentioned by any of the sermons in the book of Acts. You can read every single one of them. And every single time he says, you, the religious community, you, by your lawless hands, you took and you crucified the just and the holy one. But God did it really, can I say it like this? Lord, forgive me if I get it wrong like a metaphor to show you the process of the Holy Spirit that has to go on inside your own life for you to be set free. So then why does it become dark? (laughs) Why does it become dark? You see it? Jesus is saying, I'm bringing all of your parts together and I'm going to raise them up into paradise but in order for this process to happen you can no longer go by what you see you can no longer go by your five physical senses you've got to close your eyes and go within you got to close your eyes and go within and let the Holy Spirit do the inner work inside of you where the real work where the real crucifixion happens and it's not this pain. And listen, what God's what God's crucifying there is the criminals in your life. He, he he's crucifying that which is robbing you of love. He he's crucifying the thief that's robbing you of joy. He's he's crucifying the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But it's not some devil outside there. It's it's the devil inside here. It's it's the hell you've been creating with your own thinking and your own judgmentalism and your own accusations against yourself and your own guilt and your own shame and your own stinking thinking and God's saying let it go let go of that junk let go of that pain let go of that guilt let go of that condemnation let go of that judgment let it all go and then those parts of you can be raised up to be seated with Christ in heavenly places that when you close your eyes and you go within and you find Christ within you and you find the light of Christ within you, then your veil tears. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's all about you. The entire book is about you. So what Paul would say, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what veil? You think Luke didn't know that? Luke hung around? Luke, thought, Luke was his biographer. Luke followed him on all his missionary journeys. Luke heard every sermon that the Apostle Paul ever preached. You don't think he'd ever heard before he wrote his gospel? You don't think he'd ever heard? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So when when Luke's writing to a Pauline community and he's saying the veil of the temple was rent, you think he's talking about that place in Jerusalem? He's saying when you cling to the principle of life that's in the cross and you cling to the presence of Jesus Christ, Who's in the center of your being. That's why the tree of life. Where was the tree of life? In the center of the garden. That's where I was going a minute ago with the church fathers. 
Where was the tree of life? In the center. Where was Jesus killed? In the center. See, when you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it splits you. It divides you and puts you at war against yourself. And you're hurling insults back and forth at one another and accusations back and forth. All, all that junk, all that noise going on on the inside. All of you under the sentence of death. But in the middle of the paradise of your own inner being, in the middle of your own garden, is the tree of life. And it's the tree of life is where you find Christ. It's in our paintings. So all these, all these, these, these things, they're, they're posters of ancient paintings that told the story. If you, if you get a chance, and I don't like this one so much, I like the older ones. You know, in the older ones, Jesus isn't suffering on the cross. In the older ones, he's wearing a crown and he has a smile. It's true. But even in this one, if you look, if you come up after and you look closely, you've got Christ on the cross there with the two thieves on either side and you can see heaven above him see the principle of ascension it's not just them looking down on oh you know why would they be looking down on it? they'd be like wow go get him God is that what the angels are doing how could Jesus say I could call for legions of angels to set me free if they were rejoicing because God's getting his jollies getting fixing his that's that's his psychoanalysis let's punish my son so that i get rid of this complex that i have where i'm divided against myself i love him but i'm righteous i want to judge him but i want to forgive him i don't know what to do oh i got the answer let's beat up my son that's what religion tells you no it's about it's about access to the heavens but if you look closely you'll see the glow around jesus you know, the, the, little, the little saint glow that you see in all the Catholic paintings. Why? Because it's showing you that something's happening at the place of the skull that's bringing enlightenment and truth. And then what is so cool is if you look closely enough, there's a drop of blood right between the, the thief on the right-hand side and Jesus. There's a drop of blood in the painting. And from that drop of blood, you see it falling on John, the apostle. And John has the same halo now that Jesus has. Because they understood it's not about God punishing His Son. It's about God doing something in the mind to bring enlightenment. And when you participate in His cross, the same enlightenment that He has comes to you. And the message of the cross is the power of God unto salvation because it saves you in your mind. It gets rid of all the stuff that makes your life hard. It gets rid of all the pain and all the agony and brings you into the paradise of God inside your own being where no one can take your peace and nothing can steal your joy and no one can offend you so badly that the love of God quits pouring out of you. That's the place that Jesus wants to take us. That's the place of the cross. But it can only happen when you close your eyes and you go into the place of meditation and you go into the place of communion with God and you find the light of God within you and you do your own work to, de- to, to, to deal with, with, with who dies. It's all... Parabolic. I'm not, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm saying there's parables embedded inside of it. Who carried Jesus' cross? Well, in John's Gospel it says he carried it, but in the other three, who carried it? A guy named Simon, right? And where was he from? It was Simon the Cyrene. You know what the name Simon means? One who can hear.
And Cyrene means one who's from a place of superiority or one who's from a place of exaltation. And it's showing you that the ones who want to ascend and they can hear the real message of the cross will do the work to come to the place of the skull where the thieves inside of them can be killed and the Christ principle and the the mind of Christ inside of them can be unleashed so that they can be set free and they can eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise that's in the center of their own being. It's been there all along. Okay, you guys didn't get as pumped about that as I We'll talk more about how this... Okay, great, Aaron, that's great. So now what do I do with it? Well, start with closing your eyes and listening, being a Simon who listens for the God inside and realize that you have to have the self-discipline to carry your cross. Not some burden God gave you, not some hardship God gave you but that you have the discipline. Unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The word disciple means a disciplined follower. And the word deny there, it's not self-denial, it means to disown. So here's your problem. You've got to disown yourself. Present yourself. See, we've come full circle. As a living sacrifice. I'm not my own. God, I belong to you. And all that problem that I have is no longer my problem. I disown it. All that pain I have is no longer my pain. I disown it. All the good that I'm trying to do, sweating by the sweat of my brow, trying to please God, it's it's not mine anymore. (laughs) And I close my eyes and I start looking for God within. (sighs) Really? That's all you need to know right now. Because if you aren't doing that, there's no point in giving you the rest of it. <laughs> and that's why religion hates this message, because you don't need them to do it. Doesn't matter how much you know if you don't do something with what you know. It does you no good. So the idea is for this message to hit you and to impact you. It's why I use strong language like I use. It's why I use the swastika today because I want it to shock your consciousness so that something can begin to happen on the inside of you that's beautiful and wonderful and powerful that can save you and set you free from all the whatever junk you've been living under. Amen. Let's stand up. I'm fully persuaded. <laughs> just close your eyes. Let the think about it when you close your eyes to encounter God. Just get that image in your mind. When Jesus is dying, when the thieves are dying, the lights go out. So every time you close your eyes and go within, you're going to Golgotha, the place of the skull. You're going to Calvary, the place of the skull. To have a transforming experience with God that comes from within you, not without. That's why we quit a lot of that stuff that we do, you know, 
praying for people, they pray, fall down, get up, no different. <laughs> Got to happen inside your head, inside your mind, inside your school. So I want you to just do that right now. Present yourself if you want to. You can always take yourself back. This isn't one of these real scary things. If you make an oath to God, He's going to test you. Religious nonsense. But just right now, where you're at in this moment, give yourself to God. Just say, God, here I am. I disown myself. I give myself to you. I close my eyes. And I go to meet with Jesus in the place of my skull. And I bring my thieves with me. (laughs) And I'm Simon. I'm, I'm one who can hear. I'm one who can hear. Just affirm it by faith. Maybe you say, I haven't heard God ever in my life. So what? Maybe you've been hearing Him, you just didn't know it because you were blinded by all that religious junk. Say, Lord, here I am. I am one who hears. I'm meeting you in Golgotha. I'm meeting you in Calvary, in the place of my skull. Do realize that you, <laughs> your spinal cord is like a tree. It has branches that go out to the rest of your body. Present your body. Tree of the field is a man's life. Thank you, Lord. I did my best this morning to deliver the mysteries of your word, of your kingdom and of the cross. They are holy mysteries. And today is Communion Sunday. And so, Lord, as we prepare to Partake of the elements that represent your broken body and your shed blood. Help us to understand that we are internalizing. It's just a gesture. It's a symbol. It's an act that we do that allows us to internalize the power of the cross. The power of the cross in our lives to bring about a principle of transformation. Open your eyes, look at me for just a minute. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Well, no, I'm sorry. What did the thief tell Jesus? What did the second thief, what did he ask him? Remember me when you come in your kingdom, right? Remember me. Reconnect. Remember. Reconnect me. When you remember something, you reconnect with an event in your life. Jesus said, he took the cup. He said, this do in remembrance of me when you do it what are you supposed to do were you there I mean in the historical event were you there 2,000 years ago so how can you remember it (laughs) you're remembering yourself to Christ you're taking yourself when you eat the bread and drink the cup you're remembering yourself 
to Christ. Remember who you are. Does that make sense to you? So, Lord, we bless the elements. We pray that you will bless the bread, that you'll bless the cup. Most importantly, that you'll bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you wish to partake, you can come and partake of the communion elements. We have people available to pray with you, minister to you if you have needs. God bless you. I hope this message was helpful for you and a blessing to you. Amen.